welcome back to another Daily Walk. And we're going to continue our discussion talking a little bit about the textual criticism and the Greek texts and all those types of things. As I talk about this video, once again, I'll remind you, I am not a specific expert in this field, but it is something I spend a little bit of time studying. I do study the original languages and uh, I do try to make sure and understand. I, I really want to know why do we use this text and not that text and what are the advantages and disadvantages of each of them. So I'm not a textual critic by any form of profession or even massive quantities of study, but I have gathered together enough resources and looked at the original languages enough to, uh, and of course knowing a lot of theology and reading different translations, all of these are factors that uh, will lend to some interest I have in this field. So hopefully it's good information. If nothing else, what's your appetite to go seek out the actual experts from a variety of opinions? Because when we gather information from a variety of opinions, that really is the best way to do. Now, of course, last week we talked about the three basic models of textual criticism. And today we're gonna to be talking about the three primary texts and how these lay themselves out differently in some of our modern translations, maybe answer some of those questions you might have, like, where was that verse? Hold on. Apparently these guys don't know how to add or count, whatever. We're going to get into why that is and whatever else. So as we talked last week, we talked about the eclectic model. Uh, we talked about the uh, confessional model. We talked about the majority model of textual criticism. As we look at the Greek documents and decide what was in the original, we said we started with the understanding that as God handed the original languages down at the original time, they were the perfect and inspired word of God. The question is, do the Greek test, New Testaments we have right now, are these similar enough, contain the same doctrine? Are they good enough? Are the King James only people right when they say, oh, everything else has been polluted, ours is perfect? We can go back and look at all the texts and we can say, well, first and foremost, there's really no major changes in the text which change a lot of doctrinal things. There are a few missing words here and there. There are a few things that words have been apparently been accidentally added when they shouldn't have been added or accidentally changed when they shouldn't have been changed. We gave the one example last week of, you know, at one point, you know, children was replaced, you know, with the word horse because they're very similar in structure and somebody wrote something quickly and uh, didn't realize that that error would be passed down. But we understand that he's not, he's talking about children here, not horses. Talking about all these kids and kids and kids and kids and kids and a horse suddenly shows up with no other context. We know there's a problem with how it was copied down, not with how God delivered it. Um, unless we're talking about, you know, Balaam's talking donkey or whatever else. Um, but we're going to look at the three primary texts that we have. So uh, in general, all of the various manuscripts and fragments and whatever else that we find as we are looking at the history and the archaeology about the text, all of these can fall into three major categories. The first category is the Alexandrian texts. The second is the Western texts, and the third is the Byzantine texts. We're going to deal with the Western texts first because they're universally discredited and not ever used for anything. The Western texts, these came, you know, from the East. They moved into the West, 
and there's not a ton of them, but one thing about they did is they were like a lot of like the modern NIV translation committee. They don't care what was in the original. They want to convey a message that would be conveyed by the original. And so they did a lot of changes. They did a lot of additions. They did a lot of explaining. It was literally the Amplified Bible of the Greek New Testament. And because of this, and we understand that it's not considered to be pure, it's pretty much wholly discredited in the field. And so if you find a Western text, you go, eh, eh, they're talking about, you know, like, you know, horses getting excited or whatever again, whatever. <laughs> Who cares? Um, so the two, though, that carry the weight that is really at the heart of textual criticism are your Alexandrian texts and your Byzantine texts. Now, we have far more Byzantine texts than we have Alexandrian. There is a very good reason for this. That is because the first 300 years of the church, there was extreme persecution, and any type of religious or church-related context was destroyed on site. So it makes sense that of the texts we have closer to the time they were written, closer to the times of Christ and the apostles, apostles would be destroyed because there was so much early persecution this occurred until 300-ish AD when Constantine conquered Rome and made Christianity the state religion. Now from there, not only did it become legal, um, it also became encouraged to copy the texts. And so now it's lawful and most of the persecution that would occur, now there wasn't a lot of persecution of the church for about the first three or 400 years, but then after there, uh, six, 700 year and on, there was a lot of persecution, not of the church per se, but of different groups in the church. The reformers were greatly persecuted against. Their books were destroyed, but the Holy Scriptures were considered the Holy Scriptures. They wouldn't destroy the Holy Scriptures, just common on them. And so you had a long period of time when there might be persecution against church groups, Protestants versus Catholics versus Orthodoxy versus Romanism. Uh, you had a lot of these different persecutions going on, but at the center of all of these individual beliefs were the scriptures. And so it makes a lot of sense that the Byzantine texts, we have a lot more of them because it was completely legal and lawful to have them. It's kind of like, you know, find any form of contraband material. It's harder to find in most cases, unless you go to like a school or a prison or something. But uh, outside of that, you uh, it's legal, it's lawful, it's encouraged to have these. Of course, there was a time in the Catholic Church when it was discouraged from the general population, but the church held those things together. Now, the the Alexandrian texts, they were written way closer. They generally come from the region around Egypt and the drier climates where it's better to have them. And they all tend to agree with one another in that there are some verses that are missing from some of those manuscripts that have crept their way into the Byzantine. Now, if you remember that when the first guys who did, it was Wolcott, it was Wolcott and Hortz, they first did their textual criticism, they assumed the Byzantine texts were influenced by the heretical Western text. And this is why they excluded Byzantine text from the uh, from the uh, the uh, major the critical text or the the one that is oftentimes used most today on every translation we have except the King James and the new King James version Bible and so they assumed the Western had polluted it well there are some textual differences that it's hard to say where the, when were they added and uh, so if you look at uh, for example you might have seen the King James only guys talk about these heretical versions because they're missing these verses now then these verses seriously change a lot of the meaning of the text but there are 16 of them that are primary missing they're gonna be missing from your NASB 
excuse me, uh, I misspoke there. They're going to be missing from your NIV. They're going to be missing from your ESV, which is why I don't like it. They are going to be missing from the modern version, the most recent 20, is it the 2021 version of the NASB. This is why I will depart ways from the modern NASB. Everything NASB up to the 1995 is good. After the 1995 NASB is moving down the wrong path. They are starting to exclude these verses. Now, how these verses were handled in the NASB 95 is when it comes to these verses, they have a bracket around them. And if you look at the footnotes, the bracket indicates that these are missing from the earlier manuscripts. So what this means is the Byzantine text, which is being used for the King James and the New King James, having a few of these extra verses, the Byzantine texts has verses that are not in Alexandrian texts. And we have a lot of Alexandrian texts, hundreds and hundreds of Alexandrian texts, that all agree with each other in excluding these verses. Which is why the modern critical text that is used to translate most versions of the Bible will omit those verses. Although most of them put a footnote to indicate the verse at the bottom, that's what NASB uh, is starting to do. The Older NASBs that I personally use, the Legacy Standard Bible, the new one from uh, Masters, and uh, a few other translations, they'll include the verses and put them in brackets. Now, I do notice that none of those uh, versions, the ESV and the NIV, despite leaving out things like Matthew 17, 21 or 18, 11, none of them are bold enough to leave out Mark 16, 9 through 20, which is also completely missing from the Alexandrian texts, but they are in the Byzantine. So if you combine together the Byzantine text, it is longer than the Alexandrian text because there are a handful of verses and even some larger chunks that are missing. Why? It's because the earlier texts, and we have hundreds of them, from scattered around the area from well before the time that the Catholic Church, the you know, Romanism was established, those texts all agree in not having those verses. So it begs the question, are these important verses? And if we look at them, some of them are like, eh, whatever. And some of them, they do cause cause to question. But at the same time, do any of them change the serious theology of the New Testament? No, they don't. But this is why if you look at a King James and a New King James Version Bible, you don't see any discrepancy about these verses. But if you pick up most other modern translations, there's either brackets or the verses are completely omitted, um, except those verses in Mark, because, you know, <laughs> they would definitely be called out if they omitted half of the, the back of the book, uh, last chapter of the book, and nobody said anything about it. Uh, the point being is that there is a lot of question, and there's good reasons to keep them in, and there's good reasons to keep them out. We have far more Byzantine texts than we have Alexandrian texts. But that does make sense because the church was not universally persecuted during the period of time. All of our Byzantine texts are hundreds of years after the Alexandrian texts with all agree with each other in omitting certain verses. So that's why there is such a dispute and a debate about it. What is my general opinion? I think that there's enough 
historical precedent to keep the verses there, but that's why I like the NASB 95, the Legacy Standard Bible. It keeps the verses in there, but gives us footnotes saying these verses are omitted. If you look at the UBS Greek text, and I checked into all of these verses here before we started, these 16 verses, they are missing from the UBS critical text with a footnote indicating those verses are left out and it does list the verses uh, in full text in the uh, in the uh, the footnotes of those translations and of course the larger sections like the mark 16 9 through 20 they double bracket those indicating that these are not in the texts they consider the best and then they will tell you exactly which text remember there's hundreds of them at the beginning of the UBS. Uh, Greek New Testament, there will have a table and a chart of all of the different things going on. And you can see which texts agree with these, which texts don't. And even if you look at the, the Byzantine texts, they even questioned most of these verses. And we see that in the official notes in those particular verses. So those are the things that we see that make a difference. With that, thank you for watching, everybody. Have a look over the website, ourwalkinchrist.com. Sign up for our newsletter if you want to get that or uh, buy a book or uh, check out the support section for our affiliates, whatever else. With all these being said, though, thank you for watching, everybody, and I hope that you enjoy your daily walk in our Lord. Thank you for tuning in. Our Walk in Christ podcast is a listener-supported presentation. For more information about how you can help, check out ourwalkinchrist.com forward slash support or our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Tom M. That's T-O-M-M. Digital and paperback books are available on several online bookstores or at our website. Once again, the website is ourwalkinchrist.com. <laughs>